Welcome back to the Morning Grind. Dean back once with you. Uh, Stevie not here just yet. He'll be here soon enough. Uh, today, baseball season right around the corner, knocking on the door. Kind of snuck up on me, actually, about 10 days away or so. Might actually be less, give or take, more or less. Uh, with that, going to bring in one of our uh, baseball experts here at RG, the creator, the curator of the Bat and the Bat X. It's, uh, it's Derek Cardi. What's going on, Cardi? Not much. How's it going? I can't believe that we are this close to baseball now. It's uh, it's exciting. It's been a long off season. Yeah, it's pretty wild how like it's taken forever and now it's kind of sneaking up on me. Maybe that's just me, but yeah, we're, we're recording this on the 13th. It's actually going to be uh, out later on today and uh, opening day, I believe, is the 23rd. It's a, it's a doubleheader and then the next day, basically everybody, everybody plays except for uh, the two games that played the day before, but uh, yeah, Cardi, uh, are, we, are we just going to pretend like we know what's going to happen or we're just going to be guessing? Because <laughs> it's, it's a wild season, what we're, we're looking forward to. It is a wild season. There are going to be kind of a lot more wild cards and unknowns than I think we're used to. But I think ultimately that could wind up giving us, you know, a little bit of an edge for the people that are really kind of up on what's happening and what to expect. You know, it'll be a season with more variance because it's fewer games and and kind of, you know, rule changes and more question marks and whatever. But, uh, you know, we can account for these things, you know, to a certain extent. Yeah, so you're fresh off. I know we were talking about the NFPC last night, season-long stuff. We'll talk a little bit of season-long. Of course, here at Rotor Grinders, we specialize in daily fantasy. We'll talk about the, a daily perspective. And then later on in the show, we're also going to hit up the, uh, uh, the DK Sportsbook, see if there's any value in uh, some MVP options, some Cy Youngs out there, uh, maybe a home run leader or two, that maybe a, a dart throw. Uh, well, small sample size, 60 games as opposed to 162, Cardi. Uh, we should bet on variance, right? I know you like your big sample sizes of 10,000 at-bats, 10,000 games. We're getting 60 games, so we should embrace that and take some long shots, I think, kind of, sort of, maybe? I mean, I'm fine taking long shots in general, and I think it's going to be a very popular strategy this year, but I think it's certainly a viable one. You know, like the person that, that leads the league in home runs – could very well be not one of the best home run hitters, you know, like it could be that kind of year just because of, of the sample sizes. So, uh, you know, that doesn't mean that the value isn't still there and that we shouldn't, you know, follow the correct mathematical procedures. But, you know, if you want to lean into the variance a little bit, go ahead. Cardi, you created the bat. What is the bat X that's new and improved? What do you have stat cast going on there? Yeah, the Bat X is the newest upgrade to the Bat. It's it's the biggest upgrade I've made to the Bat since I added Weather, which obviously was was a huge addition probably four years ago. Um, it's a uh, it looks at, at all the the cool new Statcast data that that we have and that you know I've been meaning to put into the Bat for so long, but haven't really had the time. And so with this kind of you know abbreviated season, you know delay, I had the time to go in and really do it right the way I wanted to. You know. Looked at basically basically everything, you know, obviously the the basic stuff, exit velocity, launch angles, barrels, but like like way more advanced stuff too, you know, slicing it up into into different things, you know, percentage of balls hit at, at certain launch angles and exit velocity on, you know, just fly balls on on different kind of launch angles. Just all kinds of stuff is in there. Um there's a there's a whole page about it when you go to the bat, explains what it is. Um, but it should be, you know, a pretty serious upgrade. And if one were so inclined, they wanted to buy the bats, it's a uh, it's at Rotor Grinders here, and I, I believe it's a prorated price this year. Uh, yep, 125 for the shortened season. We reduced the price from from earlier in the year, um, you know, for for fewer games. But uh, it should still be a good year, I think. You know, there there's a lot of ways I think we can gain edge that we normally wouldn't, and uh, and we just kind of gotta, like we said, embrace that variance a little bit. Uh, you were talking about the NFPC last night, season-long. I know you drafted a lot of season-long stuff as well yourself earlier in the year. Uh, what have you noticed? Uh, or how are people adjusting to this upcoming 60-game season? Of course, we'll talk about the schedule. You know, some teams that benefit, some teams that don't benefit. But the 60-game schedule that's dropped, we are playing, what, 40 of your 60 games within your own division. Uh, and then I, I asked you about this pre-show, uh, and this is just the, the great unknown, and I guess it's the Ricky Bobby style, like first or last with the – with Mike Trout, we're 10 days out. Uh, we don't know if Trout's going to play. I guess we're assuming he is. I know there's also rumors, or not rumors, but there's speculation that his wife is pregnant, so that's, that's one reason why he might drop out. Uh, I, I just pulled up on the fly. This is the ESPN uh, top 300 for a head-to-head -head points league. They got Trout at 15, Cardi. Is that right? Is that not right? Well, what, what do you think? I'm the biggest Mike Trout fan and defender you will ever find. Like, Mike Trout – 
I play like so much in DFS and, and he's clearly the best option in season long when, when he's going to play all of the games. If we think there's a chance that Mike Trout opts out, and I think there's a chance because he has a baby due in August and he's talked about maybe sitting the season out because of it, then, you know, then you really can't take him number one. You, you got to actually drop him quite a bit because if the guy doesn't play, you got to take into account that chance and that, that really hurts his value as, as great as he is when he's on the field. Yeah. Is there anything else you've noticed as far as uh, what people are doing uh, that's kind of goofy, that's right, that's correct, you think that might be wrong based upon new information that's dropped recently uh, as far as the most recent drafts you've seen? Yeah. So it seems like one of the big trends is that pitching is um, is being inflated, basically. Um, and, and I think it's actually correct to do it. You know, starting the, the high-end starting pitches are going higher. The, the high-end closers are going higher. I guess all the closers are probably going higher. Um, and I think that's probably the right way to do it, honestly. Um, starting pitchers were have always been undervalued to begin with. You know, you can probably say that five five starting pitchers deserve to be drafted in the first round, and usually you'll see one or two. Um, last night we did a we did this podcast, and I think there were five of them taken in the first round, which was something that you don't see very often. But first, I think they belong there to begin with. And second, I think there are some, you know, unique 2020 season dynamics that could come into play that makes them even more worthy of that pick. You know, with, with the new roster rules and everything, I'm still, I mean, we're a week away from the season. I still have not been able to figure out what these roster rules actually are. You have your, <laughs> your 26 to 30-man roster, depending on what part of the season you're at. And then you have your 60-man player pool, which is like all of your extra guys. But I haven't been able to figure out how you move a guy from your normal roster to your 60-man roster and, and that, you know, that kind of thing. Like, are teams going to have a lot of flexibility to do that? Can they do that every day? Um, depending on how often they can do that, theoretically, teams could have a whole bunch of fresh bullpen arms just kind of in reserve that they can kind of shift in and out um, I don't know at will, or, or again, I don't know how often they can do this, but because the rosters, the base rosters are going to be deeper to begin with, you know, to start the year, it's going to be 30 man rosters. After a couple weeks, it's going to be uh, 26 man rosters, but that's still an extra body on the roster. Um, and so I think teams are going to get creative with their starting pitchers, especially their, you know, their mid rotation and back of the rotation pitcher. You know, I've been saying for years how, you know, a, even an average reliever, is, is way better than, than an average starter or, or even, you know, a good starter sometimes. Like the relievers just, they throw in shorter bursts. They're better pitchers. And, and so why would you leave your starter in there for six or seven innings? You know, why would you leave Michael Waka in there for six or seven <laughs> innings three times through the order when you can go to the bullpen and have someone way better and not have to worry about fatiguing your bullpen? And so I think we could definitely see uh, teams starting to lean into that a little bit more. Like it's already been a trend the past few years. As DFS players, we get really upset when Dave Roberts, you know, pulls, <laughs> pulls Ross Stripling or pulls Alex Wood or pulls whoever, you know, after four innings. And uh, I think that's something that potentially we could see, you know, you know exacerbated this year. And so those high-end pitchers who that's not going to happen with, you know, Garrett Cole is not going to be pulled in the fourth inning because, you know, he's about to hit the third time through the order. Like, he's going to keep pitching because it's Garrett Cole. And so I think those guys get more relative value because those, you know, those, uh, you know, mid-tier guys maybe are going to lose some potentially. I was hoping you, you picked Michael Waka. I was hoping you'd pick Madison Bumgarner as, like, your uh, example of a terrible pitcher because of the uh, recent tweets. Why is Madison Bumgarner not good anymore? Uh, because he's not great at pitching anymore. That that's the easiest way to explain. <laughs> um, no, he's just he's just not. Like you look at his numbers since his injury, his numbers have been way down. Like he's being his ERAs still look okay because his BABIP is so low. But like, how long is that really going to stay a thing? You know, like his strikeouts are down. His control is is okay. I mean, his control's okay, but mostly his strikeouts are down at a time when the league strikeouts are going up, which makes it even worse 
than it actually looks like if you're just looking at the straight strikeout numbers. Like relative to league average, his strikeouts have been really, really bad. Um, and now he's going from, you know, Oracle Park in San Francisco, one of the best pitchers parks in baseball that he's thrown in his entire career. Um, for a lot of his career, he's had good defenses behind him. He's had good pitch framing. Now he's going into Arizona. He's going into Chase Field, which is obviously not the hitter's park it used to be, but it is, you know, significantly worse for pitchers than, than Oracle Park is. And this is a guy who's probably a league average pitcher to begin with right now. So you mentioned the five starting pitchers. Uh, Garrett Cole seems like the clear uh, amongst the group. And how much does a guy like DeGrom or a guy like Scherzer, how much are they hurt by the NL now having a DH? So that's definitely going to hurt them. Um, it's not enough to like knock them out of the top tier or, or, you know, think about not drafting them. I think I would take Garrett Cole as my first pitcher off the board. I think you can make a strong case for, uh, for Justin Verlander as your second one, even maybe, but, uh, you know, I think DeGrom is still, he's still DeGrom and he's pitching in City Field. You know, he's going to have, you know, actually theoretically some really good offensive support from the Mets this year to actually maybe get him some wins finally. Um, so yeah, I mean, these guys are still really good. You have to factor in the, the, you know, the NLDH, but it's not like, uh, you know, an earth shattering, you know, change in value, you know, NL pitchers, you know, lose a little bit of value, AL pitchers maybe gain a little bit of value, but it's nothing, it's nothing dramatic. We'll go back in a second, but since you brought it up, I saw you tweeting it out the, just the other day, you're talking the Mets happen to have potentially, uh, the best lineup in the la- national league throw away the Dodgers. Under the assumption they have a DH with a, a healthy Cespedes, um, that's that's is that a bold statement? Is that a hot take, or is that where other people are at as well? I'm not sure if that's a hot take. It certainly felt like one to me at the time because the Mets are, you know, generally pretty terrible and they always underperform <laughs> expectations. Um, and health is obviously is the key there, and the Mets can never stay healthy. But theoretically, this is a really good lineup, and they are one of the teams that has helped the most by the inclusion of, of the universal DH because they have a guy in Cespedes who, you know, I don't think he's played in like two or three years because he's always hurt, you know, trying to put him in the field every day would just be a recipe for disaster. But if you can just put him in the DH spot and let him hit and keep him healthy, you know, now, now your offense gets a big boost over most of the offenses in the national league. You know, that's a legitimate DH, which is something that a lot of national league teams do not have, which could put the Mets on par we're closer on par to, to an AL team. What other teams do you think benefit? I imagine the Dodgers as well. Yeah, the Dodgers are another one where, uh, you know, they have basically too many outfielders for, uh, you know, four, you know, they have like four or five outfielders for three spots. And now you have a DH. You can throw Jock Peterson in there. You know, you can give AJ Pollock more at bats, you know, someone like that. Um, so they really benefit. The Brewers are a team like that. They went out, they traded for Avisel Garcia this offseason. And they're another team with, with four outfielders for three spots. You know, it was going to be, you know, Yelich, Kane, Braun, and Garcia kind of all jumbled up in there. And now you can play all four of them, basically. You don't have to go put Braun at first base or do anything like crazy like that. You just give these guys their full-time at-bats. And uh, uh, Garcia's a guy that the Bat-X really likes a lot. He's a guy that uh, it's really buying into, sees kind of a big season coming. Obviously, a good park shift going from Tropicana to, uh, to Miller in terms of power. So the Brewers are another team that really benefits from this. You're going to be excited. I'm pulling up. I'm curious about what Garcia is on the board for leading the league in homers. Like he seems like a guy you can get like a hundred to one or something like that. You never know. Is he going to be an everyday guy for the most part? We know. I mean, they could do something silly, like trying to give Omar Narvaez like (laughs) jet bats when, when he's not catching or something like that. But I would like to think that they're smart enough to just give Avisale every day at bats because he certainly deserves them from a talent standpoint um, in the context of their roster. Yeah, I'm pulling it up now. We'll talk about that later, but I don't even see his name on the board. I'm sure as, as an odds you can get for him, but uh, trying to scroll here on the fly. Just to walk back for a second, you're talking about as far as the rosters. Uh, I did have this up here, and I wanted to talk about it as well and just kind of reiterate uh, to your point because – what is it, 30 guys, and then two weeks in, we're down to 28 players, and then by the, end, by the season end, I think it's a 26, and you're talking about the flexibility, and like in theory, if you can just kind of move guys on and off, depending on who's fresh and who's not, like I imagine they're, they're going to subdue that, I would assume they would, but yeah. like you said, we've seen nothing official about that, and uh, the premium, and this also for, for DFS as well too, as far as paying up for the stud pitcher, paying up for the Coles, the Scherzers, that kind of thing, and 
maybe a bunch of other teams are sharp. Maybe a bunch of other teams figure it out. Like, wait a second, if we have all these extra arms, like the, the, the three, the four, the five, depending on the team as far as their, uh, their starter, they don't need to go more than three or four innings. Uh, will teams figure that out? I don't know. I would have to think a lot of them are thinking about it, especially if the rules are lax enough to kind of allow it. And again, I have no idea if they are. Like literally zero idea what the rules <laughs> are going to allow as far as this goes. I want to figure that out before the season starts, but I have not been able to yet. <laughs> so you tweeted out the, you know, the bats talking about as far as the schedule, who benefits, 60-game schedule. Uh, you're playing 40 games within your division. Uh, that's correct, right? 40, I believe, yes? Uh, yeah, I think so. All right, so give me the teams that benefit most based upon the, the schedule that sets dropped. So in terms of just like wins and losses, the team that benefits the most is uh, the Cincinnati Reds and uh, AL and NL Central teams in general, because, um, you know, originally the interleague play schedule was, was different with the first schedule. And now because they're trying to keep teams, you know, closer to their, their home cities, they're just playing the opposite league, you know, corresponding division. The, the AL East is playing the NL East. The AL Central is playing the NL Central. Um, and the, the AL Central is, is bad. <laughs> the AL Central is not a very good division. It's got, you know, the Royals, the Tigers, the White Sox, the Indians aren't what they used to be. Um, the Twins are good. But the red schedule really shapes up well, um, having some of, that, you know, some of them extra you know, games with them on the schedule. Um, and so the Reds um, are the team that benefit the most. In terms of like fantasy value, um, when you look at like the shift in parks, there are a couple teams that, you know, that really stick out as having a good, um, you know, good or bad schedule. Angels hitters get the biggest upgrade in terms of the, the park schedule, presumably because they got some games in Coors Field. I haven't looked, but that has to be the reason. They probably have at least one or two road series in Coors Field. Um, the Diamondbacks pitchers, on the other hand, do not. They play one series in Coors Field, um, whereas most of the, you know, they're, they're actually in the division with the Rockies, and they only go to Coors Field one time, which, you know, a lot of the other teams in the division go, go twice, um, that sort of thing. So Diamondbacks pitchers, if you're looking for, you know, a little, a little maybe reason to like Madison Bumgarner a little bit more, maybe that's it, but he's still not very good. You mentioned the Angels. That's, of course, a little presumption as well. Trout's going to be there, too. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on uh, Rendon, one of the biggest, I guess, the biggest uh, free agent stick. Yeah, I mean, Rendon, it, Rendon is fantastic. Rendon's one of the best hitters in baseball. Um, Angel Stadium, I've been saying it for, for a couple of years now, is actually more of a hitter's park than people think it is, at least for fantasy purposes, because it's actually, despite being a pitcher's park overall, it has become a favorable home run park, more for lefties than righties. Uh, because they moved the fences in right field a couple of years ago. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it's a pretty good spot for him. Obviously, if Trout is playing, it's a really good surrounding lineup for him with Trout, Otani. Um, that could actually be a sneaky good lineup for, for real. Um, although Nationals Park is the sneakiest hitters park in baseball. Nationals Park is like the third or fourth best hitters park in baseball. Nobody realizes it. You know, at best, people seem to think it's like a neutral park. So it is actually a downgrade for Rendon. Um, go ahead. Yeah, you mentioned, uh, you know, I was just thinking minor leaguers. I was thinking of the Angels roster, and I was thinking, is, uh, is Joe Adele, is he going to be ready? There's no minor leagues this year. Uh, you know, is there sort of like – is he a guy that's going to get some run, is going to be on that regular roster, is he going to be their fourth or fifth outfielder? I don't know what they're doing with the minor leaguers. I guess a lot of them just mostly chilling, or some of them just kind of going to be on a, uh, uh, you know, they can be called up at any point, and they're kind of like staying active and being ready. Is that what's going on there? Yeah, I mean, the, uh, Adele, I, I haven't actually looked for sure, but I would have to think he's in their 60-man pool. And yeah. uh, he'll, he'll see some time in the majors at some point this year, you know. You're not a prospect guy, uh, I assume, if I throw any prospects at you. You're just going to be – like you mentioned the White Sox, and I know a lot of people are excited about the prospects of the White Sox, at least their lineup, their offensive lineup. Uh, Luis Robert, I'm going to guess that he's being overdrafted out there uh, from a season-long perspective. And from DFS, you kind of wait and see uh, based upon the matchup. But you're probably not as excited about Robert as, as, as the average uh, fantasy fan. Yeah, that, that's going to be true for me and most prospects. Obviously, I've been kind of vocal in the past. And unfortunately, the guys I've been most vocal about have, have not worked out. You know, I was, I was the guy who was like, guys, let's maybe temper our expectations on Acuna. Let's maybe temper our expectations on Fernando Tatis. Um, Roberts, I, I have the exact same stance on because – 
on the whole, it's, it's the correct stance. You know, you look at the history of elite prospects coming up to the majors. Most of them are not Acuna right away. Most of them are not Tatis right away. You know, a lot of them, they come up to the majors and they either struggle or they're mediocre. And so on the whole, you know, you have to temper your expectations. You're not expecting Roberts to come up and be a stud, even if long-term, you know, maybe that is what he winds up becoming. But this is a guy who in the minors had really bad plate discipline, like didn't take walks, struck out at an above average rate, didn't show a whole lot of power up until last year. And when I say didn't show a whole lot of power up until last year, I mean, like he didn't show any power until last year, obviously small sample sizes and whatnot. But, uh, you know, this is a guy who had zero home runs in 2018. Um, So, you know, the bat doesn't love him. That's the same of any projection system. No projection system likes him. Every projection system basically says he's a league average guy with a little bit of power, a little bit of speed. um, And that's, that's kind of it. And so if you're taking Luis Robert in like the fourth round, I think I saw him last night, that that's way too high. You know, you're, you're hoping to hit on the upside and maybe you get it, but you know, more often than not, when a top prospect comes up, he performs like Byron Buxton or Dansby Swanson or Yuan Moncada. They don't perform like Ronald Acuna. So that, that's where I'm at on, on Robert. I, I think he's very overdrafted. I didn't realize he had zero homers in 2018. Is that a decent amount of a bats too? It was like 200 plate appearances. It wasn't a lot, but still zero is it? I mean, that's a number. <laughs> That is, yeah, I had the same amount of homers as he did in 2018. And, and it was at, like, low A. It wasn't even, like, against good competition. It was, like, low A, high A, and rookie ball combined. So, I mean, obviously small sample. I'm not saying he doesn't have power. He clearly does. But I'm saying, you know, manage your expectations, the same as you should for any top prospect, because a lot of them come up and are not great right away. I don't have the tweet in front of me, but I'm fairly certain you tweeted about this, uh, you know, not, not too long ago. Uh, you were talking about, I think, home runs per barrels. Is that is that something you, you remember uh, tweeting about? Uh, yeah, someone else was talking about home runs per barrels, and and they kind of gave the list of the guys who had the highest home runs per barrels. And I looked at the list, and I was like, wow, this is a list of the guys that the Bat X hates. Because even yeah. though the Bat X doesn't, like, explicitly look at home runs per barrels, it does seem like it is a good indicator of guys who have gotten lucky um, with their home run rate because their other stack cast metrics, you know, that do go into the bad X are not very good. So, I mean, and it makes sense, you know, like a barrel is a ball that is really well hit and it should become a home run a certain percentage of the time. But if you're exceeding that percentage by like a huge margin, you're probably getting pretty lucky because a barrel is a barrel, basically. Do you feel the same way about home run the fly ball or is that different? Um, that's a little different, you know, um, for pitchers, we, we generally expect, you know, pitchers to regress pretty close to the, the mean for home run for fly ball. There's a little bit more to it. Um, but for hitters, you know, they all kind of establish their own means. Like Joey Gallo is going to hit a high number of home runs for fly ball because he has massive power. You know, he's not going to regress to league average. Yelich is the one that comes to mind in my brain. Like the one, he, he took a massive leap, uh, I believe the last two years, like both years, he's had, a, he's had a huge number as far as home run the fly ball. I don't have it off the dome, but I think it was somewhere in the 30s, 35, something like that, at least one of those years. Yeah, um, really is that a skill, basically, is the question. Right. So, like, coming into last year, I was like, nope, Yelich is, Yelich is fake. He's going to regress. This is not, not something we should be buying into because his home run per fly ball rate was 35%, mm-hmm. which was insane. I mean, it was like, for his career to that point, it was like 15% or something like that. Um, and so I was like, there, there, no hitter does that. Like Joey Gallo doesn't do that. The, the hitters that are just behemoths that have monster raw power don't even do that. So it's like that has to regress for Yelich. And it did a little bit, but not that much. Um, but he started hitting more fly balls. Like he, he adjusted his launch angle, you know, higher swing plane. And so even though the home run for fly ball, we should still expect to come down, Yelich looks, you know, if not legitimate, like close to it at this point because – because of the fly ball rate last year, if he, he had a very low fly ball or tw- 2018, he had a very low fly ball rate, high home run for fly ball. That's just screaming. Like, you know, this, this isn't real, you know, his stack cast numbers were okay, but they weren't fantastic. Um, and so this year when he went out there and he did this, everyone was like, Oh, you know, how did you not know that Yelch was just going to keep doing this? Like, <laughs> great. It's like, no guys, like he became a completely different player. He got lucky last year. This year, he's doing completely different things and is really great. And it looks the same on the surface, but it's really not. (laughs) Do 
do you have a take as far as just something back as far as season long, Acuna versus Yelich, or is there somebody secret to door number three? Um, I take Yelich for sure over Acuna. I, I don't even think I take Acuna as my second hitter off the board, and he's the, kind of the consensus number one at this point. It seems like. Is he? You think he's going to fall back a little bit? I think he's going. I think he's going to fall back a little bit. Um, probably not a lot, um, but I think he falls back a little bit. But um, the thing that people really, I think, when they draft Acuna one, they're like, you know, Acuna is going to get so many steals. You know, he's so fast. He got, you know, whatever he got last year, like 35 steals or 40 steals or whatever, whatever it was. I think he could have got a 40-40, but he got injured down the stretch. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think people are counting on him too much for that speed. I don't think people realize how much noise – is in stolen bases and how much players tend to regress. They look at Acuna, they say he had 37 steals last year. He's 22 years old. You know, he's going to get 40 this year, you know, in a, in a full season. Um, and that's just not what happens. Like you look at what players do who steal a lot of bases, they regress hard. You know, we saw it last year, people drafted Trey Turner and Whit Merrifield because they were coming off of like, you know, 40 stolen base seasons and they were expecting to get all these steals, locking all these steals from Turner and Merrifield Merrifield stole 20 bases last year. Like, it's just, you know, it's not something you can bank on as much as people think you can. You know, Trey Turner coming off 46 and 43 steals, he fell down to 35. Um, you know, like, it's just kind of what happens to these speedsters sometimes. Like, there's more, there's more regression than people want to believe. And I think when you kind of regress Acuna steals a little bit, he's not as valuable an asset as Yelich is. Who was that third person you're referencing? Was it uh, you going to go with the pitcher Cole or maybe Bellinger? Um, or somebody uh, it'd else? Be it'd be Bellinger, I think. Um, and uh, and really, I think you're splitting hairs. You know, push comes to shove, I would take Acuna there, but I don't think he's just like the sure thing. What's your take as far as bets on the Dodgers? Like outside of like he's really good at baseball. I love bets on the Dodgers. Honestly, I think you could probably make a case for, for bets over, over Acuna. Um, he's, he's a guy that the Bat-X loves. He's actually the guy that the Bat-X likes more than the Bat, more than any other hitter in baseball. Like, it's, it's higher on bets relative to the Bat than any other hitter in baseball. Like, bets came off the, you know, the MVP year in 2018, and he was good last year. It's not like, you know, people thought he was bad. But he went from a 450 Woba to a 380 Woba. You know, it was like a 70-point drop. And if you look at the StatCast numbers, yeah, they fell off a little bit, but it should have been more like a 20-point drop or a 30-point drop or something like that. You know, he's still elite. Like, he's – in terms of, like, real-world hitting that hitting value, him and Christian Yelich project as the exact same hitter. Um, you think those Dodger stacks going to be popping this year in DFS? Oh, they're, they're going to be popping. Um, <laughs> Yeah, Dodger stacks are going to be good. Obviously, he steals some bases, too. Um, he's not in Fenway anymore, but it's not, you know, an awful drop-off, um, you know, especially given the surrounding lineup. So I love Mookie Betts this year. This is a completely unfair question, which I don't know how you'd have an answer to, but like you mentioned, Joey Gallo. Uh, Gallo had Corona, Freddie Freeman, Corona, Sano, Tommy Pham. What do we do with these Corona guys? Like, do we are we cautious? Do we – pretend like it's not a thing or I, I, I'm sure it's case by case and we have no idea. So do you have any thoughts? Yeah. So, I mean, last night, like I, like I said, we did the, the NFPC draft podcast and, and those types of guys were, were coming at a discount. You know, they were being drafted lower than they normally would. And uh, I think that's wrong. I think I'd actually do the exact opposite. I think I would draft them higher because, you know, if you think about it, like these are young, healthy guys and not to make light of this disease at all, but these are young, healthy guys, very low risk. You know, most of them are not even exhibiting symptoms from what we're hearing, um, you know, especially these guys in particular right now. And we still have, you know, close to two weeks until the season starts. And, and these are guys who have already been diagnosed, have already been quarantined, have already been resting. You know, even if they miss a few games at the start of the year, you know, we should expect them, I think, to be healthy at the start of the year. And then – you know, again, we don't know for sure that you can't catch it a second time, but I think it, it seems likely you probably can't catch it a second time. And so, uh, and so these guys, that risk goes away for, whereas every other player in the league, you know, Acuna, Yelich, whoever, you know, they could easily catch it at some point and miss two or three weeks out of the year. And that's probably not going to happen for Freeman. You know, it's probably not going to happen for, for Sano or whoever. And so uh, I think in a relative sense, they actually gain value. 
Give me the list of guys we kind of referenced it earlier uh, that might fall back a bit. They might have uh, got lucky last year, maybe overachieved. We talked about having, uh, you know, their barrels for Homer was just too high. That's one of the indicators. Uh, throw, throw me a couple of names that maybe your don't draft list for season long, or maybe some guys that might be overpriced uh, week one in DFS. Um, well, Madison Bumgarner for one. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get those um, shots in on Mad Bum. I mean, you got to take your shots when you have them. Um, I do think there are some guys, though, that, uh, that I probably will not be playing. And a lot of it is the usual suspects. You know, the, the hot prospects. I'm not going to be drafting Luis Robert. Um, there's actually a few, like, elite guys that the bat X tends to not like as much as, as the bat because of their, their peripheral numbers that may wind up – I might wind up not, you know, playing them because their prices are maybe too high. Like, J.D. Martinez is a guy that – the bat loved for years and did us really, really well. But last year, there were some real signs of decline in J.D. Martinez's numbers. And so this year, you know, if he's priced at 50, you know, 5,200, 5,500, he might be tough to roster. Um, Alex Bregman is a guy who, despite amazing surface numbers, his stack cast numbers are straight up garbage. Like, they're just not good. Um, that, that's actually overselling it. Like, they're, they're, not, <laughs> they're not garbage. But... Um, like he's probably not as good as the, as the overall numbers say he is. Um, I guess I have to ask the obligatory Astros question and I'm assuming they're getting underdrafted. I don't know. I, I drafted a long time ago and I forget how my drafts went. I don't even know who I have on my team to be honest um, with my friends, but uh, the Astros are, are getting, uh, you know, with the whole banging on the drum, banging on the, on the trash can deal. Are they getting devalued for that reason? Um. A little bit, but it's really tough to tell with them because we don't know what their true talent level really is. Like, were they, are they being overprojected by the mathematical models because, you know, they were actually cheating in 2017 and maybe 2018 and, and, you know, they're not as good as those numbers indicated they were. But then you have some studies that came out and were like, well, you know, maybe they weren't actually helped by this at all. You know, there, were, there was one study by Rob Arthur at Baseball Prospectus that was like, look, when they knew, when they, when they had the trash can bang, and when they guessed correctly on the pitch that was coming, they, they did great. But there were enough times where they got the sign wrong or whatever, they, they banged the trash can for the wrong pitch, and they just flailed wildly, wildly and, and were so ineffective on those pitches that it kind of canceled out. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's really tough to know you know, what was going on with them? And then 2018, if they were using buzzers or whatever, you know, we don't have that data. We have the trash can data. Someone went through and recorded all the trash can bags. Thank us, job, by the way. Yeah, there's just so many unknown factors with the Astros that we really don't know. Yeah, it'll be so interesting to see how that goes down. And, like, uh, it's so funny. I saw them in the rules for baseball. They, like, you know, they have always new rules, like no spitting, whatever they explicitly said like no fighting and it's like, wasn't it always no fighting? Wasn't that always a thing? But yeah. So, I mean that, cause that's going to be a thing. Like they're going to get hit by pitches. I would imagine. Yeah. Pretty frequently, especially in the first you know few games of the year, maybe MLB tries to shut it down, but like what's going to happen if they start getting hit by pitches and they can't fight, like, are they, are they going to fight? And then just the game gets canceled. Um, you know, if they don't fight, then for sure, whoever's pitching that day, you know, Justin Verlander or whoever, is going to start hitting the other guys. So like maybe don't roster Verlander his first start. Maybe he gets ejected <laughs> in the first inning. Like who knows? Like there's so many things like this to, to think about. It's, it's just a weird year for so many different reasons. Even before the whole delay, we had to deal with this. We had to deal with what ball is going to be used this year. And now it's compounded by all these, you know, new schedules, new roster rules. Like there's just so many, so many balls up in the air this year. Um, and, and I should point out, I have done a lot of research into a lot of this stuff. I've accounted for it in the bat as much as possible. I do think ultimately we could get an edge from these things, but uh, there are some unknowns. So I'll take the over on a half a fight, depending on how you, a very liberal term, you know, fighting in baseball is very liberal interpretation. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll take the over on a half though. There will be a fight at some point. Yeah, I think Uh, so too. (laughs) And is the ball juice? Do we know? They don't don't just come out and say like, hold a meeting. Yep. Just so y'all know, it's juice this year. Have at it. Like, no, no even after things. it's juiced, they come out and say, no, it's not juiced. Like, they, they, there's no transparency with the ball. Like, we have no idea what the ball's going to be. What do we know about Texas' new ballpark? 
Yeah, so Texas, I mean, this has kind of gotten lost in everything. People, a lot of people might not even know that Texas have a new ballpark, especially because the old ballpark was Globe Life Park, and the new ballpark is Globe Life Field. <laughs> so people it's getting trashed on Twitter, by the way. I'm not sure if you saw that. People are making fun of how it looks aesthetically, but go ahead. I don't know how much that matters. Yeah, so, so people might not even realize that it's a new park um, until someone tells them like three weeks into the year, but it's a new park. Um, so the old park was interesting because from a physical attribute standpoint, it should have been like a league average park. You know, the, the fences were like, you know, semi-deep. Um, it's not like it's at a high altitude really or anything like that. Um, but like it, it played as one of the best hitters parks in baseball, even before you accounted for, for the 90 degree weather that was there some games. It was one of the best hitters parks. A lot of that people said was because of, you know, the way the wind kind of circulated in the field and stuff like that. Um, and so there's no way we can project this new park as, as an elite hitters park, even though the fences are actually more favorable. The fences got moved in. It does project as a top 10 park in terms of the physical attributes. So it should play fairly hitter friendly in a neutral context. Now, the other thing we have to consider with this is that it has a roof. So the old park didn't have a roof. It had the heat. It has a roof. You know, we're going to be playing almost, you know, I mean, we're going to be playing all these games in the middle of summer, basically. So this roof, I would imagine, is going to be closed almost every day unless, again, this is another thing I haven't heard about, unless they say you can't play in closed, closed stadiums because of coronavirus or whatever, maybe they want the roofs open. Like, who mm -hmm. knows? I wouldn't be surprised if that winds up being a thing. Um, but assuming the roof is closed, and they're playing in, you know, 70 degree temperatures and, and most of the other games are happening in 75, 80, 90 degree temperatures. You know, what could have been a pretty decent hitters park might wind up falling back to being more of like a neutral park once you account for the weather or something like that. The other thing, what if they have the Arizona, Arizona, like they open their roof when it's 110 degrees out sometimes. I'm sure you've seen that before. Oh yeah. It's, it, there is no rhyme or reason to what the Diamondbacks do. <laughs> so maybe they have that guy, maybe he's working both buildings. I don't know. But uh, yeah, that, that's going to be, if, as opposed to if it's 98 and ridiculous humidity or if it's 75 and, you know, controlled temperatures, that would make a distinct difference. And uh, we don't know what they're going to do, but it'll be curious to see. And like you make a good point as far as Corona, uh, I think in theory, like it's quote unquote, I mean, maybe incrementally safer if it's open air as opposed to closed, who knows, I'm no scientist, but uh, all right, we, we talked about some guys that might fall back. How about some guys that are going to push forward, uh, who, like planting your flag kind of guys, um, maybe for season long guys you would, you know, plant your flag on or from DFS perspective out the gate that you think are going to outperform their original price tag. So um, it's, it's gross, but two of the guys that, it's tough because these are guys that I would be excited about in a normal season. And I am a little wary about given the circumstances of 2020, but Rick Porcello and Michael Waka going to the Mets oh. would normally be really interesting to me. Like I'm the guy who plays Jason Vargas when he's 5k in city field <laughs> in a good matchup. And, and I've done really well doing that. Like it's become like a running joke and, you know, with bat users like, Oh yeah. When's Jason Vargas day? Because like, when the guy's that cheap and even if he's terrible, when he's in that context, he can be really valuable. And Porcello and Waka could be those guys pitching for the Mets. You know, Porcello's coming from Fenway Park in the American League East to, you know, City Field, you know, with good, good run support, potentially awesome ballpark. Um, and they're probably going to be priced really low. The problem is how deep are they actually going to be going into the game? And, and the Mets have a, a new manager. Like we really know nothing about him. And so uh, it's going to be tough to tell. But theoretically, these are guys that the bat would normally love and tell you to play as your SP2, you know, anytime they're at City Field, basically. So I like them. Uh, we mentioned Avisel Garcia before. I like him quite a bit um, with the Brewers, with the StatCast stuff. Um, with Ryan Zimmerman opting out for the year, I really like Howie Kendrick and Eric Baines. Like I've mentioned how underrated Nationals Ballpark is as a ballpark. And Thames is getting actually a pretty considerable park upgrade, even though people are not going to consider it that. They're going to say, oh, he's going from Miller Park to Nationals Park. Like, what a park downgrade for Eric Thames. Mm -hmm. And it's the reverse. Like, it's a good upgrade for Thames. There's going to be more playing time available for him. Howie Kendrick's a guy. You look at his underlying stuff, his StatCast numbers last year, they were incredible. If he was 25 years old, people would be raving about Howie Kendrick. 
but because he's Howie Kendrick, he's older, people are just kind of like dismissing it. And I think that's misguided, especially considering the park, the lineup around him, um, and what the numbers actually say. So uh, these are two guys that I'm, I'm quite excited about. Why don't I like Jeff McNeil? Is it his name? Uh, I don't think he was a big prospect. He feels like he kind of sort of came out of nowhere. He feels like an overachiever. I know you were talking about him possibly the other day. Uh, sell me on Jeff McNeil. He's a guy who I think is a better real life player than, or a better guy to have in real life than in fantasy. Um, you know, he's, he's a solid hitter. You know, he made some real gains last year with his power, which, which is big because, you know, if you don't have power, you're basically useless in fantasy. Um, but his power was, was pretty good last year. His bad is going to come down, um, but he has good plate discipline. He's not going to strike out a lot. Um, you know, he'll swipe the occasional base. You know, he's a solid guy. You know, he's the kind of guy that could either be wildly overvalued or wildly undervalued, depending entirely on the matchup, you know, especially if he's outside of City Field and the price. You know, I don't think I rostered him at all last year. I think the price was always too high. But if he's priced right this year in a good lineup, you know, he could be he could be a guy. All right, let's head up to Sportsbook, Cardi. Uh, let's let's jump to to the uh, the AL MVP, which is hilarious that Mike Trout is two to one. Imagine betting Mike Trout at two to one MVP, like under all the circumstances as is. That's absurd, right? That's the worst. But that's the worst bet in the book. It's it sucks because normally, like, <laughs> I love Trout, but yeah, I'm not betting Mike Trout at two to one. I think that's probably a bad bet at this point. That seems like a bad bet. Now, of course, if he does play all 60 games, or I guess if nothing else, he's probably going to miss like three or four because of pregnancy. I would imagine. I don't know. Yeah, probably. I don't know how it. I don't know how it works. Like, what the you know, if he's going to have to quarantine, if like he's going to like who? I really don't know. But yeah, he'll miss at least a few games for the pregnancy. I would think. Trout is two to one uh, AL MVP. You got Judge eight to one, Lindor ten to one, Rendon fourteen. Uh, the aforementioned Bregman's twenty to one. Uh, what, what's, what's popping for you? Or would you rather just take some darts on some of the guys at 25 and 40 to one? For me, I'd rather have some of the, the long shots. Like, I don't think there's any value in Aaron judge at, at eight to one. I don't think there's any value in Lindor at 10 to one. Um, I would take the, the longer shots like, uh, Garrett Cole at 50 to one, yeah. I think is really interesting. Justin Verlander at 80 to one, I think is really interesting we don't see pitchers win MVPs very often, and that's definitely baked into these odds. But I think we have to consider in a in a 60-game season, what happens if Garrett Cole or Justin Verlander or Jacob deGrom in the National League, what happens if they go out and they throw up like a .5 ERA because of variance? It's possible. Like, it's, it's entirely possible. And, I mean, if they do that, like, they have to get the MVP. If they give up like six runs all year, like, they're the MVP, right? Well, it's 12 starts, right? Maybe 12, possibly 13 smart starts, depending on. Is that a reasonable number? If these guys stay healthy, they have normal rotations. I think if he has 11 bad. good, like yeah. really good games, like one where he gives up three runs or something like that. Like you said, like that, th- these pitchers have won on that kind of run. Who do we see? Like uh, Darvish did it last year, right? Verlander's done it before. Yeah. All these guys have had 12 or 13 game runs where they've just been incredible, not hittable. So why, why can't it happen again? Of course, the conversation is, well, they already have their own award with Cy Young, but we have seen it before. There is a precedent as far as pitchers getting MVP. And the other part is, I don't know if it's some kind of a psychological thing, but if you, you see these eye-popping numbers for 162 games, no matter how good these seasons are, by right, a 60-game sample, we're not going to see eye-popping baseball like home run numbers. We're not going to see eye-popping uh, RBI numbers. It's just not going to happen, right? So maybe – it just looks like, well, that's not that impressive. It, it, right, like, like the voters that are just looking at the numbers, like the, the number for pitchers that they're going to look at, yeah, it's going to be wins a little bit, but that ERA, a really low ERA is going to pop. And even a really high like home run per plate appearance is still only going to be like 20 home runs. And they're going to look at that and be like, well, it's only 20 home runs, but Jacob DeGrom has a 1.05 ERA, you know, like, so I could see yeah. that being a thing. Uh, Jose Ramirez had a really dreadful first half last year. He was incredible the second half last year. Uh, I think he's more the guy in the second half than he is the first half, and he's probably not that good. Uh, any interest in – well, your thoughts as far as Ramirez as a player? I'm curious. And 25-1 to 1 for Sion? I'm sorry, for, for MVP? I think 25-1 to 1 is a fair enough odds. It's not like I'd be going out of my way to, to bet him or avoid him. I think he's closer to the guy in the second half also last year. Um, I think he's a good player. I think there's better odds on some other guys. Like I'd rather have Otani in that range at 30 to one. 
you know, because Otani is a guy, one that the bad X loves, like the, the stat cast numbers are fantastic on him and he's going to be hitting and pitching this year. So I don't know if that might ultimately hurt him if neither of those numbers really look great, but he's another guy, you know, maybe he doesn't make the 12 starts. Maybe he only makes six or seven starts, but if he gives up, you know, three runs in those starts total and goes out and hits, you know, 10 home runs, 15 home runs, maybe he's a guy that they look at. Uh, Nelson Cruz at 125 to one. Like that's one that really stuck out to me. Like this is still one of the better hitters in baseball playing for one of the, I mean, one of the world series favorites, basically, you know, one of the best teams in the, in the American league. Um, You know, if they win that division, Nelson Cruz is their best hitter, you know, and they wind up actually, you know, maybe having the most wins in the American league, which could easily happen in a season like this. 125 to one for Cruz seems silly. And they have a a great schedule, too. You talked about, you know, you get to face those White Sox, the Tigers, the Royals, uh, Pittsburgh on the other side, the Central, the NL Central. I mean, you look at the other players on his team. Jorge Polanco is 80-1. to Byron Buxton and Luis Arias are 100-1. to Why is Nelson Cruz 125-1 to when when he's the best player on that team? In my head, does the Cruz – I don't know why – did he get corona or am I making this up for some reason? I might have read that and just, like, I'm I'm putting putting the tag on for somebody else. But uh, I know Sanofi. But I don't know about Cruz. Okay. Well, yeah. So maybe I'm just uh, – yeah. By the way, I would say this about the Astros. We talked about them before. Uh, the Astros would have to be distinctly better than – any sort of tie, Correa is not getting the MVP. Altuve is not getting the MVP. Bregman's not getting the MVP. Is that correct? I, I would think so. Unless they really go out and crush it, I think it would be hard to give it to them. That, that's sort of my thought process there as well. Uh, anything else that's kind of sort of somewhat interesting in the AL for uh, MVP or you want to jump to the NL? I think we can jump to the NL. Uh, NL MVP. Wait, hold on. No, no, one second. Andrewton Simmons, 100 to 1. Why is Andrewton <laughs> not on the list at all? Much less, again, higher than Nelson Cruz. <laughs> that is what, why, why Andrewton? You get points for like, the defense? He's a great glove, but that's so weird. Why is he on the list? Uh, Austin Meadows, 66 to 1. That's another one I really like. I love Meadows this year. He's, a, he's another guy that, that the, bat, the bat X really likes a lot. I meant to mention him. You think he takes another step forward? Like last year, obviously, he took a big leap, and you think he either sustains or potentially goes forward from that? Yeah, I kind of think it's, it's very possible. The NL, uh, the first two are Dodgers, bets uh, five and a half to one, Bellinger seven to one, Yellow seven to one, Acuna nine to one, Soto ten to one, uh, Harper 18, Freeman 25, Alonzo 30 to one. What's jumping out for you? Honestly, at the top, None of these really jump out to me. I was kind of hoping Mookie would be more like, you know, eight to one, nine to one, 10 to one. Um, Cause he's the guy that I, I really think is the best hitter in the, in the national league, either him or Yelich. Um, so if I was going to bet one, I guess maybe it would be Yelich. But uh, again, I'd probably, you know, veer more towards the long shots here. We're going to, it's funny. It's a good segue because tomorrow we're going to have uh, your boy Grant on. You guys love to spar with each other. By the way, I don't have to look at the schedule, but apparently myself, Grant, and yourself will be talking baseball either opening night or that Friday. So uh, you get your sparring gloves ready. It's going to be good times. Oh, it's going to be fun. <laughs> so the segue is, of course, Grant loves Reese Hoskins and you want a dart. Uh, he's 66 to 1. In theory, he can bounce back and bang out close to 20 homers, I suppose. Maybe, yes. Yeah, I mean, he's fine. I'm sure Grant is going to be hotter on that than I am, but he's fine. You know, I'd probably rather well, I'd probably rather have Marcelo Zuna at the same odds or even Justin Turner at those odds. Justin Turner is like the most underrated hitter in baseball. It's just hard because if the Dodgers do well, like it's probably going to be because Mookie or Bellinger is doing better than Turner. But in a 60-game season, you never know. Um, but uh, who's – Do you want to apply the same theory as far as pitchers? Scherzer is a 41. DeGrom is 33-1. to one. Is it the do. same sort of thought process? Yep, absolutely. I love both of them at those prices here. Uh, you can get, it's a tease is 20 to one. I'm sure you'll love that. Yeah. I'll probably pass on that. <laughs> <laughs> I think San Diego is in course, uh, seven games, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, whatever that's worth. And what about, uh, oh, you know, I'm curious. We'll talk about Homer later in a second, but I saw Fran Mel Reyes. It's got a pretty interesting number. If you want to throw a dart for homers, uh, anything, anything else here you like as far as the NL MVP or they're all sort of priced as is what they should be. Albies is 66 to one. Uh, Goldie at 40 to one, Alfonso 30. I don't see a whole lot that I like love here. Uh, Freddie Freeman at 25 to one is one of the ones that stuck out the most to me. Um, Again, because let's say, you know, he's basically, you know, 
I hate like talking about this. It makes me feel weird. I don't want to be like crass, but like he's probably like immune to like the COVID risk. So like, you know, he probably will play a full season, whereas a lot of these guys maybe won't. Um, and that doesn't seem baked into his price, you know, especially considering that he's really good. And he's going to get to play in a lot of the, the ALE's ballparks this year. Yeah, do we know if he's back playing right now? I don't know, to be honest. I don't but think we, he's we, back yet, but, like, presumably, like, he, he's had it long enough where by the start of the season in a week and a half or two weeks, like, he should be, if not ready to go, like, almost ready to go, right? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I saw, uh, I think his wife tweeted out that he wasn't feeling particularly well and he had symptoms. That was, you know, so, I mean, maybe he's recovering better, and I, I hate to speculate these things. I really do. Yeah. So, hopefully he's great. Hopefully he feels better, and hopefully he'll be 100%. And if that's all true, uh, you know, for sure, 25 to one is a very interesting uh, number. Uh, let's jump to the NL Cy Young. We got Degrom at three and a half to one. Scherzer at four to one. This is where it's obviously less sexy to bet on these guys, but and maybe embracing variance. Uh, the same sort of conversation. Twelve starts. Any like you know, we can get twelve really good starts out of Patrick Corbin. I don't know. Trevor Bauer at 20 to one. Who who do you think is interesting uh, as far as an off the board guy? Um, Madison Bumgarner at 10,000. Oh, wait, no, that's, um, um, honestly, I don't see a lot that I love in, in the NL. There's several in the AL that I like, but NL I'm having trouble finding a guy that I'm like, yeah, that's a really good, that's a really good bet. All right. Let's jump into Yale then. If you don't, uh, Hey, you don't have to bet these things. If nothing's jumping out for you, the numbers are all correct or they're just wrong or not that appealing. Let's jump to the American league. Let's jump through there. Yeah, so there's a few guys here. Um, a lot of my, like, favorite pitchers are in the AL, guys that I think are super underrated in fantasy and are clearly underrated here with, with betting. Uh, Lance McCullers, 40-1. Um, to one. James Paxton, 40-1. to one. Jesus Lazardo, 55-1. to one. I think the odds on all three of these guys are fantastic. Like, McCullers is an elite pitcher. He's one of the 10 or 15 best pitchers in baseball, and he's not priced that way. Um, he should get, you know, good run support from the Astros. Maybe being an Astro will hurt him, but as a pitcher, maybe not. This guy, when he's healthy, has the best curveball in baseball, like bar none. And he uses it 50% of the time. Like Lance McCullers is really good. He's coming off Tommy John surgery, but he's had the extra, you know, four months to recover. Um, I think McCullers is great. James Paxton, another guy who's one of the best pitchers in baseball and just doesn't get treated like it. And he pitches for the Yankees. You know, like maybe Garrett Cole will, will outshine him this year, but in a 60-game season, it's entirely possible that Paxton has a better season than Cole does. He'll get plenty of run support. The Yankees should win the division. Um, I think Paxton is is fantastic. And then Luzardo is is a rookie, um, but he's so good. Like, he's so good. Pitches in a great park. Um, you know, pitches in a, a division basically full of pitchers' parks going into – um, interleague play in the NL West outside of Coors Field is mostly pitchers parks. Um, you know, if he can avoid a Coors start, um, Lazardo, I think is a, is a really good bet. Another guy who had Corona for what it's worth, Lazardo. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, my issue with all those guys uh, is like history uh, of injuries. Uh, maybe they don't push these guys that much. And I'm sure coming to the season was when it was 162 games, there was talk of McCullers probably playing 150 innings as opposed to 200. So He's one of those guys that might be able to take advantage of the fact that it's a shortened season. Um, but then unless they decide to not let them go as deep into the games, I think that's, that's one of the biggest risks with them. But yeah, theoretically now a guy like McCullers, who, like you said, was going to go 120 innings. Now that's what everyone's going to do. So, so who cares? Yeah. He also tends to labor, you know, like he's a guy that can go like uh, throw a hundred pitches in five innings, you know, he's generally not with somebody that flies through a lineup, but maybe that's just sort of in my brain. I don't know. You probably have numbers that suggest, Maybe otherwise, or you could tell me more specifically, but uh, he's not a guy that I, I expect to go nine, but like who goes nine anyway, outside of Cole and Scherzer sometimes. Uh, anything else here that's kind of worth uh, talking about, or shall I move on and talk about some homers? Let's talk to Dingers. Let's talk some Dingers. All right. Uh, Joey Gallo, Mike Trout, uh, both 10 to 1. Alonzo and Giancarlo are 11 to 1. I, I think that this is really interesting for picking some flyers. And I, I imagine you do too as well, because there's some interesting numbers here in the, in the book. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously the, the top guys are the top guys. I think they're priced fairly. Um, Matt Chapman, 66 to one. He's a guy that, that I really like. The stat cast numbers on are really good. Um, I think he's a, you know, a very strong play. Um, 
George Springer, 66 to one, I think is interesting. And you don't have to worry about the, the voting aspect here. Like, you know, if he hits the most home runs, he hits the most home runs. He doesn't have to get voted, you know, for that. So I think he's really interesting. Um, who else? What about Solaire at 33 to one or Reyes at 35 to one? Yeah, Solaire at 33 to one. I love, he's kind of, last year, that was kind of like the price we were getting on Joey Gallo. And he was on pace to just destroy the league until he got hurt. And I think Solaire is pretty similar. Like he's got great power. It's backed up by, by the advanced stuff. Um, and the odds on him are just way too low. He, he, yeah, that, that is an awesome call. He's one of the best plays, I think. Cruz, by the way, 50 to one for MVP, 28 to one to be the home run leader. Uh, Cespedes is 35 to one. Like I can't imagine, like uh, you can't, I mean, look, he's, he's going to get the play finally. He's probably going to get pinch run for it late in games. I'm guessing. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't like that. He was like, like one for the MVP too. I was like, no, thanks. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I can't imagine going there. Uh, I already said Aquino's 50 to one. I don't even know if he has like a, a, a roster spot right now. Yeah. Like we don't even know if he's going to play every day or that, that seems way too high for him, even though the power is there. Kyle Schwarber at the same price, 50 to one. He's a guy who will with the DH, you know, is basically guaranteed to play every day. Um, I would think maybe to sit him against some lefties, but Schwarber 51, I think is really strong. I'm seeing a line on total home runs by player. Uh, they have it currently at 14 and a half as the leader. Is that, is that correct? Like as far as anybody? Oh, I'm sorry. That's Bryce Harper. Never mind. I was, I was, I thought I was like, uh, I say, who yeah. wants the most homers in the league? Like what's the actual number? I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Just kind of oh. checking on the fly. You know, sticks uh, out here, Gary Sanchez at 66 to one Gary Sanchez. Um, According to, to the bat, the bat X and all that, like I run the expected numbers, he was expected, his expected home run rate last year was 50 home runs per 600 plate appearances. That is a monster number for a guy who plays in Yankee Stadium. Um, that's before accounting for Yankee Stadium. So add on Yankee Stadium on top of that, give him 66 to one odds. I, I'm all over Gary Sanchez here. I don't think I prepped you this for Car- uh, Cardi, but the, on the fly, do you have anything as far as team futures, who's going to win the World Series? I mean, Dodgers are less than four to one. The Yankees are four to one. Then it's the Astros at eight and a half to one. Atlanta, 13. Minnesota, 16 to one. We talked about them as being an interesting team. We like their schedule as well, too. Uh, you know, outside of the obvious stuff, you got a team that's you think worth watching or maybe uh, buying some futures on. In worst case scenario, you hedge out. Yeah. Um, Indians, 25 to one. I don't, I don't hate. Um, they're not as good as they used to be. They're not the best team in the division anymore. Um, but outside of the Twins, it's a terrible division. Like we said, really good schedule for them. Um, so in a 60-game season, they could easily finish ahead of the Twins, make it to the playoffs, get you know the first-round buy or whatever. Um, I think they're good enough at 25-1 to 1 to, to take a shot like that on for sure. Um, who else are we looking at here? Nationals, 19-1. to I like Tampa, but 18-1, to 1, I, I feel like I'm not getting a great number on that. That's fine, but – yeah, I want more. Like, I love Tampa this year. I think outside of the Dodgers, the Astros, and the Yankees, who are obviously, like, the best teams, I think Tampa is the next best team, but they're kind of priced that way. Yeah, uh, and Franco, you know, they obviously have uh, some young players, too, that the McKay, Franco, and I assume they're going to use those guys. And a team like Tampa, they have a really, really small window when, like, their talent is peaking and they can afford them. <laughs> this might be it. <laughs> uh, just the way Tampa runs that organization, they don't have a lot of funds to delegate, obviously. Uh, anything else for the road, Cardi? I much appreciate your time. Obviously, what, nine, ten days, depending on when you guys are listening to this, until opening day. Opening day, I believe, is just a doubleheader the next day, uh, which is a Friday. Everybody plays, I believe, with the exception of those two games that played on Thursday. But uh, what, what are we monitoring? Of course, this whole thing is fluid, but we're assuming, we're hoping we're going to have a clean season. But uh, who knows? Yep. Hopefully, we have a clean season. Hopefully, you know, the variance isn't too extreme. <laughs> um but uh, yeah, I mean, it should be a good year. Like I made a whole bunch of upgrades to the bat um, just in general, you know, for the StatCast stuff, um, you know, specific upgrades for, for this season, you know, NLDH, you know, roster stuff, stuff like that. Um, you know, there's, there's been a lot of upgrades and uh, I'm, ex- I'm just excited to have, have baseball back. You know, it's been a long layoff. It's been, you know, kind of a rough time just overall. Um, I'm excited to have baseball back. Yeah, I think everybody is, and hopefully, uh, you know, we'll have it back and it'll stay back, and uh, it'll be good times for sure. Lots of DFS action going down, of course. Uh, I assume you'll be on Grinders Live a good bit or on the premium stuff a good bit. Of course, the bat is out there too at Rotor Grinders. 
Uh, I mentioned Grant tomorrow. Myself and Grant, we're just going to be we're going to be talking about uh, more baseball odds. We're going to go into it even more, and then we're going to talk about the NBA as well, which uh, is kicking off soon enough. Uh, a couple weeks down the road, I guess, end of the month. Uh, that said, Cardi, much appreciate your time. Uh, check out the Bat the bat X here at Roto-Grinders. He was Derek Cardi. I was Dean. This was baseball. It was also the morning grind. Thanks for listening. We're out of here. Holler. <laughs>